Good morning, everyone. I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. I have uh, the joy and the privilege of connecting with some of our younger people. I'm the next generation pastor, and so from children to youth, I have the joy to give leadership to that, and we're celebrating Abigail's baptism and many more happening next week. We're really excited. Um, Also, one of the things that I do is I have the joy of being involved in our summer internship program. And so we hire summer students uh, through the summer to be involved in ministry, to have a wonderful experience being a blessing to our neighborhood, to leading children's camps and being involved in the church here. And so um, we have a deadline of April 6th. And so if you're a student, if you want to be involved in that, if you're interested, uh, just heads up to that. Also, if you know somebody who might be interested and you want to pass along the information, um, all you need is that website right there. So rivercrosschurch.ca slash intern, and uh, all the information will be there. So just a few weeks away, just wanted to give a heads up about that. Well, we're continuing our series uh, called Finding Finding Strength this week. Uh, We've been talking about how to find the source of our strength. We've been talking about how God is strong even in light of our weaknesses. Um, Today we're talking about perseverance. And as I look around the room and I try to get a definition of what perseverance is, I know that many of you know this story very well. And I also know that even this week, as we celebrated the life of DK, David Kelly, um, we celebrated a life of perseverance and really a lifelong journey of integrity and hope and optimism and, uh, and joy, even, even beyond uh, his most recent journey and struggle uh, with cancer. And so we want to thank DK for just being a life example of perseverance here today. But for all of us, I think we all have a journey. We're all fighting a battle of perseverance of different kinds. And so that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. And my prayer for all of us is that we would know that God is with us through our struggles. He gives us the strength to endure and to persevere. So who has ever heard the phrase, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I can see it. I know it's there. I'm going through a tough time, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Sure, we we know that phrase, right? It's a story of hope and optimism. And even though you might be going through a dark time, there's something ahead to look forward to. We've all been there. We know what it feels like. Uh, I've always admired people who train for triathlons, the grueling work of having to go through that race and to prepare yourself for it physically and mentally, uh, talk about how they would know what a light at the end of the tunnel would look like. But maybe at work, maybe there's a passion of yours and a way that you uh, offer your time or your involvement. Maybe there's things that are required of you that makes success feel like it's in the complete opposite direction of the direction where you're headed. You know what that feels like? to be looking for where the light at the end of the tunnel might be. But then I also know that many of us have personal struggles of all different kinds. Maybe it's health or wellness. Maybe it's cancer or a sick friend. Maybe it's financial. Or maybe it's a deep hurt that you've had to struggle with for years of your life. And in all of these situations, we all can ask ourselves, where is the light at the end of the tunnel. Now, sometimes we throw ourselves into struggles, right? Like those triathlon runners, right? Uh, Sometimes we put ourselves in situations where we want to fight, we want to battle. Sometimes those situations and those struggles get put onto us against our will, or maybe we don't even see them coming. And then some struggles, of course, are bigger than others. But in all of these situations, today what we're going to talk about is that God is closely with us, walking through us, 
so that when we ask ourselves the question, do I have what it takes to endure this battle? Am I going to see a light at the end of the tunnel? How am I ever going to get through all of this? We can know that God is with us. God is perfectly capable of helping us fight the battles and to finish them if he's called us to do them. So there's two, test, there's, uh, two stories in the Old Testament, actually, what I'd like to use to help us guide through this today. Um, they're both about the prophet Elisha. Now, many people here know the names Elijah and Elisha. Uh, they're prophets. They led, Is- they led Israel uh, by communicating God's will to uh, the Israelites, and then they passed on God's messages to the people. And it's two stories about Elisha that I would like to talk, to, uh, talk about here this morning. So if you have your Bibles there, or if you want to follow along in the red ones in the seat ahead of you, um, we're going to go first to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 21. 1 Kings 19, 21, and in there is a familiar story about when God met with Elijah in a meaningful and powerful way. Um, There was a, God sent Elijah up on top of a mountain, and there was this big wind, and there was a big fire, and there was a big earthquake, and in none of those situations did Elijah find God. Instead, God was found on the top of that mountain as a still, small voice or a gentle whisper. And it was in that gentle whisper that God gave encouragement to Elijah. He helped him have strength for his own battle. But then it was also his time where God told Elijah that your successor is going to be Elisha. Elisha is going to become the next prophet for Israel. And you are to go and to find him and to carry out uh, my, my message to the Israelites through Elisha. So in that moment, Elijah goes out, he seeks after Elisha. Now, Elisha was a successful farmer. He came from a family that had great wealth and had lots of opportunity and privilege. Um, he came from a farming family where they had lots of animals and equipment, lots of people working for the family business. Eli- In other words, Elisha was set. Okay, he was secure. He had, he had a strong, stable family business that he knew for the rest of his life he was going to be okay. There was going to be security and wealth and safety laid out for him uh, because of his family's great wealth. So imagine when Elijah shows up and says, God has put a call on your life to follow him as a prophet. Imagine what Elisha could have been thinking about. My life is set. I don't need any disruption or distraction. I've got everything I need. My family will be secure. I am okay. But now God is calling me to something else. Elisha, because of his call to become a prophet, went from having everything he could have possibly wanted to not even knowing where his next meal would come from. And this is the story in Elisha. First Kings, er, sorry, First Kings 19.21 is, uh, is what we read about and how Elijah responded to Elijah's call. I'm on page 560. I'm going to start reading at verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the twelfth pair. 
Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Well, go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him. He went back and listened to what he did. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Elijah destroyed all of his livelihood and his wealth and his hope for a safe and secure future to follow Elijah. What in the world does this have to do with perseverance? And that's what we'll talk about today because Elijah put himself, or Elisha put himself in a situation where he only could depend on God. He didn't have a safety net of security that if things didn't work out, that uh, he would have something to fall back on. There was no plan B for Elisha. It was following God or nothing else. He destroyed every sense of chance, any temptation that he might have had to abandon the call on, that God had on his life. He, let, he destroyed so that he could completely focus on God. Elisha did not withhold anything from God. He didn't give himself an out or a backup plan. He made the decision to depend on God and committed to it. And here's why that's so important for us to consider about how we need the strength and how we find the strength to endure our battles. We need to depend on God and depend on him alone. Our ability to endure hard times is directly related to what we're willing to allow God to be, have control over in our lives. If we withhold things from him, if we ourselves create a plan B, if we give ourselves an opportunity to not follow God and to follow something easier or more self-satisfying, if we create that backup plan with our lives, then we will be forever haunted with a cloud of doubt despair, asking ourselves, what if? And opening ourselves up to the temptation to follow another path other than the one God set out for us. And if we dig deep, we will find that what we withhold from God will also be the source of our desire to give up. What we withhold from God is also the source of our desire to give up. And that is the important lesson for us today. Now, maybe some of us find ourselves in a situation where really life's pretty good. You know, we're not, life's not easy. It's not perfect. We've got a few of our own struggles or battles, but it's not like I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. Maybe this is your chance to be like Elisha. Before the trouble came for Elisha, before the, the suffering, before the discouragement, he decided that he wasn't going to quit. He knew what God wanted of him, and he went all in to follow God's lead. Maybe now is your time to make that decision in your life that you will follow God no matter what. You will persevere. Elisha, depending on God, gave him the ability to stay focused on God's call on his life and the goal that was set out for him. On the other hand, now, how many people, perhaps myself included, I know that this is a temptation for me, how many of us are tempted to find the easy way out sometimes when we're going through tough times, when we're fighting our battles? 
And how many times does that lead us on a path of self-destruction when we start cutting corners, making unwise choices, and doing what we want instead of what God wants in our lives? If we're going to overcome the battles that life faces and throws at us, we need to stay away from the easy way. It's almost always the wrong way. And when the battle gets hard, even to the point of being overwhelming, and I know the discouragement and the despair when, when energy is low and you feel like you've got nothing left to give and all you want is just an easy answer, just a little breath of fresh air, I know how easy it is to give in to that temptation to slip, to slide and to cut corners and to do things your own way instead of God's way. We let down our guard And then just a little bit of temptation creeps in. Or maybe just a little bit of our boundaries slip. Maybe we'll do something that's just a little bit unethical or unsafe. Or in desperation, we will do whatever it takes to satisfy ourselves. Now, my oldest son, I'm scanning the room to make sure he's not in here. See, he's, my oldest son's getting old enough now that he knows when I'm t- using his stories as sermon illustrations, so I'm going to have to start asking his permission, or maybe it'll be a while before I can start talking about my son again. Um, but, uh, but this fits so well. So my son and I, uh, we, we were up this summer, uh, we were going four-wheeling with my cousins, and they had us all set up, and I know when you're in New Brunswick, like... Three quarters of you will know more about four-wheeling than I do, so I'm going to try to sound like I know what I'm talking about. But um, we went for a ride. It was really easy. It was really fun. Elijah was on the back. I was in the front. And then as we we were starting to get more comfortable, uh, they wanted my son to have a try driving, which I thought, okay, you know, things were going uh, okay so far. And so we switched spots. So Elijah was in the driver's seat, and then I I went into the back, the passenger's seat, and I was told, oh, and they did something to the transmission so that it could only go into first gear, so it wasn't very fast, okay? So once I knew that we weren't going to go fast, I was a little bit more comfortable with this. But the instruction that they gave, my cousins gave to me was that when you're driving with your son, like, put your hands on the handlebars so that if he loses control, you can knock his hands away and then take control of the four-wheeler. So my son is here, i am kind of got my arms wrapped around him, and I'm the safety um, in case something goes wrong. So we did that for a few minutes, except that it was getting really uncomfortable, really uncomfortable for me and for my son. And so he was doing well. The path was straight. We weren't going fast. And so, because we were both uncomfortable and things were going well, I put my hands on the nice kind of heated hand things for the passenger. So, so instead of kind of keeping my guard up, instead of being safe, and my son was doing fine, and so I just sat up and I kind of enjoyed the ride for a little bit. Well, sure enough, 30 seconds later, along this safe path, which, again, we weren't going fast, um, a rock came, and it wasn't a big rock, but it was enough for my son to panic. And in his reaction, he overreacted and became frightened that the rock was going to throw him off the path. And so his reaction, with his hands on the handlebars, was to avoid it, um, except that he went so far off that we slid off the path and we ran into a tree. And thankfully, because we weren't going very fast, the four-wheeler was fine, we were fine, and I'm very thankful for that, especially looking back on, uh, on that event. The, the, the tree didn't make it. <laughs> but, uh, but the story is, is, in all of our lives, once we start get comfortable, we want to let up. We want to kind of remove our hands off the handlebars of our lives and just let it go. 
And I, did, I learned that lesson the hard way, and I think my son probably will be a while before he's on a four-wheeler again. Um, but, uh, but in our lives, the same thing is true. You know, if we don't have a handle on our lives, who knows where it'll go, and who knows how we might overreact um, when we start taking, cutting corners and trying to find the easy way out. The same thing is true. If we're going to hold on to our lives, we have to hold on and not uh, slip and, and uh, cut corners. Instead, we can follow Elisha's example. We can commit to trusting God to care for you. We can figure out what our next step is. We stay focused on the goal with our hands on the handlebar, and we cannot settle for the easy way out. We have to be careful not to take our hands off the handle of our lives. So let's remember also that as we're going through suffering and pain, that our relationship with Jesus actually can get stronger when we fight those battles. Many people will say that it was in their darkest, toughest times when they grew in their relationship with God the closest. Our, our youth groups, both uh, middle school and high school, all winter long, we've been talking about the book of James. And in James chapter 1, it actually starts off by saying, consider it pure joy when you go through trials of many kinds. Because your, tri- because your, perse- your, uh, your persecutions leads to hope. And in other places in scripture, in many places, like Romans, it says, uh, rejoice in your sufferings because your sufferings produce perseverance. Your perseverance produces character and your character produces hope. And then these words again in James, it says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, having focused like Elijah, having agreed that you will follow him no matter what, after having your hands on the handlebars of your life, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. A wonderful promise and a reminder that, that God is very much concerned about our lives. He doesn't just act as like a cheerleader who kind of stays with his hands off and just hopes that all of his people hope, work out okay and that they figure it out on themselves. God is just so close to us, so near to us, and his desire is that even though there might be struggles or pain, even though it might be hard to find him, he's with us. He cares for us. He wants us to be honest with him about our pain. And we can believe that he loves us deeply and walks closely with us through our battles, even when it seems like he's not there. And I'll close with the last example from Elisha to prove that point that God wants us to learn. So a few chapters later from where we read in 1 Kings chapter 19, in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha has become the prophet of Israel. Elijah is no longer with the Israelites, and so Elisha is their leader. And there's a battle. The Israelites are at war. Um, One of Elisha's servants, while this battle was going up, he wakes up that morning, and he goes outside, and he realizes that the city is entirely surrounded by their enemies. And there's nothing, what seems like there's nothing that could be done. So in 2 Kings chapter 6, I'd like to read uh, two verses here, um, starting at verse 15, and I'll have 16 up on the screen so you can follow along. But listen to this story about the servant of Elisha. It says, The servant of the man of God, the servant of, of Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Am I going to cross this finish line? 
the servant asked. Where is the light at the end of the tunnel in this situation? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And listen to what Elisha did. Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, Elisha prayed that the servant would see this perspective from God's eyes and not his own. See, when the servant went outside and he saw the battle, all he could see was defeat, discouragement, despair, and hopelessness. But Elisha could see that God had a much bigger plan and a much bigger purpose. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha said, and the same is true in our lives and in our struggles and and in our battles, that if we're going to persevere, we need to look at our struggles through God's eyes. And when God looks at our struggles, he sees people that he loves deeply, that he wouldn't abandon to their own poor choices or to their sin or to their discouragement, that he is not going to remove you from pain or from struggle. That's not his goal. God's goal is to walk with you closely as you depend on him in the struggles that you face in your life. And instead of trying to fight those battles on your own, that you would trust God and see him and see the situation the way that he does. So let's remember that God is on our side to overcome our battles. When it feels like we're surrounded by doubt or failure or hopelessness or brokenness or addiction through thoughtless or destructive behaviors, God wants us to overcome. God has resurrection power to give us new life. Jesus died on the cross and then rose again in victory. And he proves that, that he wants to give new life to broken situations, to broken lives like our own and for those that we care about. So let's remember that we have the army of heaven on our side when we depend on God, that we can have God's perspective if we pray that we would open our eyes. Let's partner with each other so that when they're going through struggles, that we're there for them. And we're going to talk about that next week with Pastor John. But let's also remember that God is calling us to never give up. Let's pray. As I pray here this morning, I'll be using the words from Hebrews chapter 12. God, as we spend time here thinking about you and being with you, we know that there are stories many more than the one um, of Elisha. In scripture, we hear of Abraham and people other like him who depended on you even through tough times and you were there. And those stories, Lord, give us hope and encouragement and a reminder that if you were there with them, that you're there with us. So Lord, in this moment, as we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off those things that hinder us and the sin that messes us up and entangles us and distracts us and causes us to want to cut corners. Instead, let's run with perseverance the race that you marked out for us. And we're going to fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the one who perfected our faith. 
For we know, Lord, that even you persevered. You died a sinner's death so that we could be made right with you, so that we could even stand in victory over the battles that we're facing even now. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God over all things, and even if things in our lives feel dark and hopeless, that you are there and you are God over those as well. So, Lord, we thank you. We ask that you would give us your strength, that we would not grow weary, and that we would not lose heart. And we thank you that you promise that you're there for us. In Jesus' name, amen.